Um, as Pastor Andrew said, I'm Sarah, and um, if you don't know who I am, I'm the arts and communications pastor here at City Church. Uh, often on Sunday mornings, I'm not out here. Sometimes you see me do announcements, but I'm usually in the tech booth in the back or up in the balcony where our offices are. So it's great to sometimes get down here and be with you all. I have the privilege of concluding our um, series on relationships that we've been doing this month called Live, Learn, Love. And the first week we talked about marriage, then we talked about relational conflict, then we talked about healthy relationships with Pastor Derek last week. And this morning I have the opportunity to talk about being single-hearted. So we're gonna talk about singleness. If you didn't know, I am single, as are many people in this congregation. So why are we gonna talk about singleness on a Sunday morning? It doesn't happen very often. In fact, we were, I was thinking about it. I think the only time I've ever heard it talked about on a Sunday morning was the last time I talked about it, which <laughs> was probably like, I'm not kidding, like 15 years ago or something. So. I actually think it's kind of important. <laughs> Part of the reasoning behind that is, um, if you didn't know this, in American culture right now, there are more singles than there are married people. In the American church, there was a Pew research um, done in 2019, that was the most recent one I could find, that said that in the American church, for adults age 30 to 64, that 40% of the church is single. That's a high percentage if you're not aware of looking how that looks. And I don't know what it is exactly here at City Church. It could be the same, but that's not even counting people in their 20s. So if you add the people in their 20s or younger, it's even a higher percentage. So it's very unusual that we have such a high percentage of people that we're actually not talking to about where they're at in their lives. So I think it's really important that that's something we maybe should do. Um, see, our American culture has a view of being single that's a little out of whack, in my opinion. It's not biblical, and it certainly is confusing. In fact, it tells us, American culture tells us, you need to be an individual, you do you, what's important to you is all that matters. Oh, but unless you're in, a, in a, some sort of relationship, you don't matter. So you need to be individual, but you need to be in a relationship. In fact, they often say, if you're not sexually active, well, that's really weird. Something's wrong with you. And to have that idea of, unless you're in a relationship or sexually active with someone, you're not a complete person or something's wrong with you is very dangerous because that's absolutely not true. It's not at all what scripture says. Unfortunately, the church has a tendency sometimes to have the wrong theology on singleness too. They often think singleness is a problem to be solved. It's not, but we're gonna get into that. <laughs> I, I mean, to be honest, sometimes singles think it's a problem to be solved too, but we're gonna talk about that outlook. <laughs> it's not a problem to be single. It is not, you don't have to fix someone if they're single and you don't have to, they don't have to believe that they need to be fixed. So we're gonna talk about all of that this morning because this is what I'm hearing from the singles in our church and I didn't have time to pull every single one of you, sorry. But this is, I think many of you singles here will resonate with what I'm about to say. Singles often feel that they're secondary to others in the church, secondary to marrieds, families, kids, youth, and even young adults, single young adults who are in their 20s. 
uh, single people in the church want biblical teaching on how to live well being single, not just teaching on dating and waiting and information on how when you get married you should do this, but actually how to live right now, today. It, <laughs> yay. <laughs> and um, singles uh, want to be more than the child care person, the dog sitter, the house sitter, and the person who comes to serve because they've got time to. I'm not saying they, we don't want to do those things. We do. But they also want to be included for themselves and not just what they can do for people. Singles in the church and the church as a whole I think we've gotten the wrong concept of what biblical singleness is, and our theology on it is not that great. So that's why I'm talking about singleness today. First and foremost, because singles, you are a part of this church body and you matter. Yeah. <laughs> and second, our theology on singleness isn't always correct in the church, and so we want to examine that a little bit this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're here today to hear your word, to hear from you. I ask that as we are in this place, some of us are single, some of us aren't, that you would speak to us about what you have to say about living single-hearted for you, what it means to have a single-hearted theology, and what it means to be living in a single-hearted community. We know that you alone are what we all want to focus on and all the person we want to have as the main thing in our lives. Help us to learn this morning what that looks like and how we can do that. Amen. So I've named the sermon single-hearted because that's what it comes down to. I want to first present a theory, theology, my version of what I'm seeing in 1 Corinthians about what God has to say about what it means to live single-hearted as a single but also, for those of you who aren't single, I think you're going to get some things this morning too, because uh, Paul and, and First Corinthians has a lot to say to you as well that you'll get to hear along the way. So um, let's just dive in here. We're going to look at First Corinthians. Now, why First Corinthians? I'm going to admit, First Corinthians 7 is the chapter we're going to focus on, and I'll admit I've been a single for a long time and in the church for a long time and sometimes this chapter comes up and you kind of groan because you're like, it's like literally the only chapter where anyone talks about being single. But it's important <laughs> because there is a chapter where they talk about it, so that's great. Now we also have to remember, it's not the only place in the Bible where singleness is seen. Um, well, Jesus was single, so that's a good example. Um, I, I, I think we can kind of pay attention to his life, maybe. <laughs> um, so that's one option. But there's also many people in scripture we see both in the Old and New Testament who are single. And those single people lived lives and God spoke to them and they had experiences. And so we also have the opportunity to look at them. But today we're going to specifically look at chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians because Paul, who was also single, talks about marriage and singleness and some other things. Before we get into the specifics of chapter 7, I just want to make you aware of 1 Corinthians in general. 1 Corinthians um, was basically Paul writing a letter to the people of Corinth. So they were very much influenced by the Greek culture around them. They had become Christians. Paul had been there. Then he left, and now he's writing a letter to them because he's heard about some things that are going on in Corinth that he's concerned about. 
There's some things overarching in this book of the Bible. I encourage you, if you've never been familiar with this particular book or other books, to maybe pop onto the Bible Project website and just watch the video on 1 Corinthians. It'll tell you a lot about this book and how the purpose of this book is for, in Paul, he's saying, hey, let's look at our lives, how we're living through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ that there are some things that are super important. One, like sexual integrity and purity. He talks a lot about that. He also talks a lot of, in 1 Corinthians about um, how we are not to just think of ourselves, but to think of others. So there's a lot he has to say about the importance of how we should live, not only as singles, but as non-singles. First, I'm going to read uh, chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or rejoice or buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know, will soon pass away. So the very first thing we're looking at here actually applies to all of us. It says in this scripture, hey, time's short. You're Christians now, to the people in Corinth, and time is short, and your number one priority needs to be Jesus. It needs to be what he's doing. And that's why I call this a a single-hearted theology. Because really what Paul's saying here to everyone, whether you're single or not, is that it doesn't matter how much money you have, if you're happy, if you're sad, if you're single, if you're a slave, if you're free, all the things he talks about in this chapter, you need to be focused on what the Lord is doing and what the Lord wants. And so that single-heartedness is actually a command from the Lord to each and every one of us. I mentioned the, sing, um, the sexual integrity part too, and you can look in 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 7 about that. I'm not going to focus on that today. It's a whole other message. But Sexual integrity is not just for singles, although it is for singles, it's for everyone. And so in this chapter, it's very interesting because Paul says certain things are commands from the Lord and other things are more like his advice, what he has to say because he's been around for a while and been single. And these first ones about being single-hearted, focused on the Lord and sexual integrity and purity are commands from the Lord not just Paul's opinion on things. He's very clear that there's no compromise. And so it's another thing that you can look into chapter seven and focus on whether you're single or not. And our focus that needs to be on the Lord, there's a scripture in um, actually several of the gospels, but I'm gonna read Matthew 22, that Jesus said that I believe is the utmost description of what God wants us to do in relationship. And you've probably heard it before. Matthew 22 37 through 40. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Paul, again, he doesn't refer to the scripture specifically, but he's saying what Jesus said. Single-hearted to the Lord first, then to others, and everything else will follow. And so these are very important things to kind of lay the foundation of what we're about to launch into when we're specifically talking to singles in chapter 7 here today. So let's move on. The first thing I want to talk about, 
in chapter 7, something that Paul makes very clear, but I think a lot of us have a hard time with, whether we're single or not, is the idea that singleness is a gift. I'll be honest, sometimes I think it's a curse, but we'll get there. Okay, so let's read this. This is 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 7. I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I, I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So again, he's not saying you have to stay single. He says it's not a command, but I wish everyone was single, but everyone has a special gift. So what that means is married people have special gifts too, but singles, you're a gift from God, and God doesn't give gifts that aren't good and aren't complete. So to be single is a good gift. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy or not painful. Like I said, I sometimes wonder if you kind of feel like it's a curse. I mean, I know what it's like, like many of you, to be lonely when standing in a crowd of people in a room that's filled with people and you're the one who's alone. I know what it's like to have to ask the Lord to help you because your really good friend just got engaged and they're elated and you need to be happy for them, but you're wondering what's going to happen for you. I know what it's like to feel like something's wrong with you because you haven't been chosen by someone. I know what it's like to be told by very well-meaning Christian people who are married that maybe your standards are too high or maybe that God is, isn't ready to give you someone because you're not ready to be married. Or to remind you that if you wait too long to get married, then someone may not want you anymore. I mean, I can go on. Again, they're well-meaning, but they're not super helpful to make you feel like singleness is a gift. I know what it's like to have sexual frustration because you're trying to live a pure life, right? And... I know what it's like to not have someone to hold on to when you're in deep pain or have someone to text or call when you're super excited about that tiny little thing that really only matters to you, right? So there is pain in singleness. But singles, I want you to know that there is a gift, a good gift in singleness. And we may not always feel it, but God does show us here what it is. Because I also know these things about my life. I have more time to pursue what I personally want to do and am passionate about and what God is passionate about because I'm single. I know that I can focus on me when I need to because I know a lot of married people who can't. When I need me time, I can have me time. Like I have lots of it, right? <laughs> okay. I have the freedom in my schedule to do what I want whenever I want. I can make my own decisions without having to have a conversation or collaboration with another group of people. I can spend money on my needs and passions in a way that often marrieds or families can't. I'm able to take healthy risks that other people can't. If I wanted to pack everything up, pick up, and move somewhere, I could. Those are gifts. The Lord has given us time, finances, even if it's a little bit, <laughs> He's given us undistracted attention. And these are things that are gift, and we don't want to squander these things. Another thing that 1 Corinthians talks about in verses 17, 19, and 23 is our place, our status, and our value to God. 1 
Corinthians 7.17 says, Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. God's placed you where you are, so live faithfully there. Every part of life is a season. Singleness is a season. It may be a season that lasts your whole life. It may be a season that doesn't last your whole life. Marriage is a season. It may be a season that lasts the rest of your life. Maybe not. We go through seasons in life, and this isn't just about being single or married. Sometimes we're in a season where we're waiting for that occupation we've always wanted to do or that one thing that we know God has promised to us. God wants us to live faithfully in the now. He wants to live in the situation we've been set and be singly-hearted, focused on him, and not so concerned about what's coming in the future. We can't live in the future. He wants us to live today with him in the present. Obedience is what matters, not our status, whether we're single or married or whatever else. Verse 19 says, For makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Now, why am I talking about circumcision? Well, because it's in the middle of this passage. He talks about singles and non-singles. He talks about circumcised, uncircumcised, slave-free. He's talking about it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your status, what's happened. You need to obey God's commandments. This isn't about who am I and, you know, so status... For God, your status is the same. You're a son or a daughter. Please follow and obey me. I will be with you. doesn't matter what your status is. And that's one of the things Paul's trying to point out here. Another thing is God has set you free. Do not be enslaved to culture and other people's opinions of you. Don't believe these lies. I'm going to give you some lies. Being single means you're not completely whole. Jesus makes us whole. Being married does not make us whole. Jesus makes us whole. A spouse is not a reward. This is a hard one for me, and I'm not, and I'm sorry, again, married people, I love you, but in the last month to two months alone, I've heard this twice. Not to me, but I've heard it come out of people's mouths. Someone is now dating or whatever, and someone tells them, that God has brought this person into their life as a reward for their faithfulness. I, you know, that feels really good if you're the person who they're saying that to. But when you're not the person, what it indicates is that, oh, I haven't been faithful. No one's brought anybody into my life, so I must not be faithful. That's really damaging to us. (laughs) It's not only damaging because it hurts us personally, but it's a damaging theology. It's saying that, God rewards people with a spouse for certain things. And please don't believe that lie. It's not true. It's also not true that you don't have a spouse because you're not dedicated enough to the Lord. There's nothing in scripture that says, once you're really dedicated to the Lord, sold out for him, then you'll get a spouse. I'm just going to say, if I, if I pulled all the married people in the room about the first thing, about being faithful, then you get a spouse, and then you're dedicated to the Lord, and then you get a spouse, guess what? We'd find out pretty quickly that that's not true, right? Because then again, that's bad theology. We need to be single-hearted to the Lord with or without a spouse. That has not been promised to us. We have not been promised happiness, ease, or marriage. We've been promised Jesus. So the next section is... 
Paul's advice. I like this because he said some of the things were commands, but this is advice. And I like that he's giving us advice because he was single. He went through a lot of trials, you know. So in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35, it says this. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can devote to the Lord and holy in, and holy in body and spirit. But the married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to restrict, put restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. He's saying, this is my advice. I want you to be free from distraction. I want you to be free from the concerns of life so that you can take this gift I have given you, God has given you, and live single-heartedly and fully in him. People who are married have things that they're responsible for that we're not as singles. And... That's hard sometimes. So don't squander your singleness. Not only is it a gift, but it can be a time that is rich and fulfilling in the Lord. He is, Paul is saying here, he doesn't want to put restrictions on us. He's not saying you have to be single your whole life, or you can be single for this amount of time and then get married, or anything. He's saying this is not to restrict you, this is to give you freedom. There is freedom in singleness. There's freedom in marriage as well. But there's freedom in singleness that we don't want to squander. We want to stay single-heartedly devoted to the Lord, walking forward in what he has for us without distraction. So we say, how do I stay single-hearted? Okay, we understand we're supposed to stay single-hearted, focused on the Lord, not believe in these lies, know and trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. But it's, sometimes there's things, pitfalls, snares, that we fall into. So I want to talk about a few of the snares that we as singles sometimes hit, okay? First, I want to talk about to singles who are wanting to get married at some point in their life. I am one of those. Don't let your relationship with God be a bartering system. It happens all the time. We're like, maybe if I do this, then God will think I'm good enough or faithful enough or, you know, fill in the word to give me someone. Or, hey, Lord, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. God has not asked us for a business interaction and bartering system. He wants a relationship. A relationship where we're solely looking at him and he's solely looking at us. And as soon as we turn that relationship into a bartering system, it, we've fallen into one of those snares where we're no longer single-hearted. Those of you wanting to be married, allow God to be in your present, not just your future. Marriage is not the threshold to the rest of your life and happiness. It feels like it might be. <laughs> you think, once I'm married, everything's just going to be great. My life is going to finally start. First of all, talk to the married people. <laughs> and I'm, again, I don't want you to think that marriage is bad. Marriage is awesome as far as I can tell, but, but they do have the realization that when you get married, life just doesn't suddenly become the most beautiful thing ever, right? There's still struggles. So we can't look at marriages like my life's going to start then. Marriage also does not equal success. 
our world thinks it does, <laughs> but it isn't, and it's not, your, our goal is not like when we get married, then we're successful. And it's okay to lament. Remember that painful stuff I talked about? That happens, and it's okay to tell God about that. It's okay to say, hey, I feel this way. I trust you. I'm going to stay single-hearted. I'm going to praise you, but I feel this way. Take a look at the Psalms filled with this stuff. Although David's getting like attacked and chased. But for us as singles, there can be a lot of lamenting of, I feel alone. I feel not seen. I just want to meet somebody. Lament. It's through lament that you have real Heartfelt discussion with the Lord. And guess what? Out of the end coming through that, you'd be amazed at how much you can change. Your spirit will change. And finally, those of you wanting to be married, you cannot make marriage or relationship the idol in your life. We want to do that. We want to say that this person or that, that thing that I imagine is all that matters. And I'm going to worship that. I'm going to put all my time, energy, money, everything toward that. That's an idol. Jesus has to be in that place in our lives. The next set of snares I want to talk about are for those who might be single, who actually have, don't really intend to get married. They're just single. They plan to live their whole life single because there's snares for them too. One of them is living a life of solitude and isolation. It's really easy when you've decided that singleness is where you're at Maybe you're okay with that. You're trying to stay single hearted with the Lord, but then you decide you don't need anyone else. And that's not true. When we live in isolation and without other people, we're not doing what God created us to do, which is to be in community. We're not allowing ourselves to serve other people, which God has also commanded. In fact, our pride, we get a little focused on ourselves sometimes. It's like, I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to put up barriers to everyone else. Not only does that not help the body of Christ, but it's very dangerous for you. This is where we go into depression, anxiety, and many other things because we've isolated ourselves and kept ourselves in our desire to stay single as if no one can be around us. And then that goes to the next snare, which is like we do not form meaningful, deep relationships with anyone and that is also not good for us. We have to put up boundaries when these relationships might be with the opposite sex, but God wants us to have meaningful relationships with one another. He wants people to speak into your life and you speak into their lives, and this isn't gonna happen if you don't actually allow yourself to have relationships. There's a lot of fear there that they're not gonna understand you or like you, or what could you have to say for them? But set that fear aside because as I'm going to talk about at the end here, community is amazing, and it will change your life. For those of you who were once married and find yourself single, and that can happen in a lot of ways, maybe you've lost your spouse through death, maybe a separation or a divorce, but there are snares there as well. Sometimes that comes from believing that the loss of that relationship is either God's fault or your fault in a way that can't be mended. Sometimes the loss of a relationship involves sin in our lives and other people's lives, but that sin is not going to define us. As we are single-hearted and have our hearts to the Lord, he is graceful, graceful God, 
And he can renew us and change us. And sometimes we think we can't get beyond that. And for those of you who have lost a spouse, I can't imagine how difficult that is. And it would be very easy to say, God, you did this to me. You need to grieve. It's important when you lose something. But you also have to remember that God is a good God. He loves his children. And he has not left you. And that singleness may not feel like a gift. (laughs) But it is. And he will work through that in you. Every single one of us singles, sometimes we get angry at God. We get angry at God and we're like, it's your fault that this is happening to me. And there's no place for that. God is not about any of that. Like I said earlier, he doesn't promise us marriage. He does not promise us happiness, ease, perfect lives. He promises to be by our side. So we don't need to be angry at him for something he never promised us in the first place. And the other snare for every single that I see all a lot my life and other people's lives, is not seeking godly community. So let's talk here as we're coming toward the end about single-hearted community. And this applies to every single one of us in the room. We need community. Pastor Derek talked last week about love, acceptance, security, identity, purpose, those five things that we need in a relationship. And Jesus gives us those things, but community also gives us those things. Where we can find love, acceptance, security, identity, and purposes in godly community. And this community also has to be single-hearted. It has to be pointed at the Lord. We live in an I culture that is not, uh, not about true community always. And we need the church to be the family of God and the true community for those who don't have that. Jesus actually promises us community when we give everything to him. In Mark 10, 28 through 30, Peter speaks up and he says to Jesus, hey, we've given everything up for you. So what what about that? This comes right after Jesus has spoken to the young rich rich ruler and he, he has gone away because he doesn't want to give everything up. And Peter's like, we gave everything up. And Jesus is like, yep. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. He's promising community. He's promising that when we individually sacrifice ourselves to him, he will bring us a body to be with us. You notice it also says along with persecution. That's also another sermon. But, and then he says, and in the world to come, we will have eternal life, which is the greatest gift. But Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm asking you to give stuff up, but I'm going to reward you, all of you, and this is actually a promise, with a bunch of people around you who are going to love you. Sometimes we as a community need to work on that. So that's one of the things we have as our jobs is what does it mean to be a single-hearted community? And the easiest way I can say it is it means to be a witness to someone else's life. A witness is someone who sees something and then can relay it back. Whether that means like you saw an accident and you can tell them what happened, or you witnessed someone doing something and you can be like, oh, I saw you doing that, do you need help? You know, as witnesses within a Christian single-hearted community, 
if we're really paying attention to each other's lives, we will be filled up ourselves because we will find people who, are, who can fill us up as we've witnessed them living their lives and doing whatever it is. Or we'll find ways to serve people. Or we'll find ways to pray. Because if I witness something and I'm like, oh, that person needs prayer, then I have something to pray. Being a witness is really important. I'm going to read a... I asked a couple of singles in our church to write some things down for me. And I'm going to read something from a woman in our church who um, is a widow about how she would like things to be in the church, how I would say this idea of being a witness to someone's life. When I reach for the hand I have held, the cheek I have caressed, the wisp of his hair, he is not there. Or turn to the gaze into his eyes that have shared pain or joy, though these have faded. Better together than apart, what God has joined together for a season, as most relationships are on this earth. Two become one flesh. It's a mystery, bound together emotionally, physically, spiritually, and perfectly. Hopes, dreams, expectations, running alongside each other. Yet by some capacity of God's grace, collide and experience union. A mere taste of completeness and wholeness he designed. A foretaste of his intimacy, a powerful, consuming wholeness and satisfying of longing, yet so limited in our human experience. We told each other we would always go together. Where you go, yet where you go, I cannot yet come. Into the arms of Jesus, to the bosom of the Father, I am alone. God joins together, let no man separate but God. Two become one flesh, now become one again. Song of Solomon 2.7, do not stir up or awaken love, let it sleep. Psalm 38.9, all of my desire is before you, Lord, and my sighing is not hidden from you. So it sleeps. Such tenderness comes from the Lord, lover of my soul, comforter, companion, defender. Routines broken, rhythms now restored, shadows dissipating, light shining into dark places, breathing in new life, washed by tears, emerging strengthened. Sacred, depth, empathy, value, refining time, focus, eternal purposes, value. So much to say, such treasure to hold and to give away. How do I re-enter, resume, and relate? I am myself, yet changed. I was one, now one again. Re-entering into singleness. I am changed, but the same. Hey, I am still me. This is new territory, no longer us, but me. Condolences and sympathy extended from others were genuine. Truly, thank you. I've been carried by prayers, words of consolation, and concern. Such kindness. Now what? I am a widow. What is expected? Where do I fit? Hang out with other widows? Other couples or singles my age? I'm not after your husband. I don't want a date or replacement relationship, nor do I want pity. I don't want to appear lonely because I am alone. Awkward. I do want meaningful conversation that goes beyond the weather or work or when I might retire. I feel like there is so much to say, to offer, to experience, to learn from others, to share life, to bear one another's burdens and support dreams to pray, to weep, to laugh, enjoy each other. Hey, how about a conversation about death? Not to be morbid, but how do we bear one another's burdens? Does it include this? How do we walk with each other through the range of circumstances we encounter? There's also a tension between holding on and letting go, not wanting to forget the one I loved, mentioning with honoring words and good things we shared, calling to mind common memory among friends and family. Is there a time to stop this conjuring and move on? 
Take off my rings to show I'm over it and ready to embrace a new chapter. But what would that signify? And is there a social expectation to break off the past in order to show I'm, grie- I'm done grieving and ready for the next thing? Don't let my face look too sad or cry while I'm worshiping. I must be hung up on some unresolved issue. Ask me. You might be surprised. Invite me. I might say yes. Not just to fill the empty gaps in my schedule, but to have meaningful personal exchange. We are longing for the same things in our relationships and our spiritual journeys. And fellowship empowers and heals because Jesus is in our midst. That is what witness is. So, single-hearted community of City Church, I have some challenges for you. Singles, stop looking for a soulmate. Start working on being a really good friend, brother, sister. That actually get you ready to be a soulmate, by the way. Side note, soulmate word actually didn't refer to romantic relationships till the 1980s, but we won't get into that. So, um, you're really not looking for a soulmate? Okay, <laughs> so... Be committed to the community around you, singles. Be involved in a wide variety of people's lives. Learn from them, grow from them, and love them. And those of you who aren't single, to the couples and the families, don't give us false promises and play matchmaker unless we ask you to. (laughs) And please do befriend us, invite us, include us, give us a voice. And and think about what you say to us. We're all called to be single-hearted. And let's all be witnesses in that calling. And let's practice witnessing each other's lives. The worship team's going to come up, and I'm going to read one more letter from a person in our church, a single man in our church, because I think what he has to say is important to the singles in the room, but to all of us. I remember to moving to Madison. A bunch of boxes from my past landed in my rented room. Then life as a graduate student quickly ensued. I worked hard, attended church, small groups, learned how to play guitar. But those boxes remained, contents that were waiting for attention or waiting for a house or a bigger apartment or just more time. And then I moved, and the boxes moved with me. Some of them were never even unpacked from their prior apartment all that clutter, boxed-up memories, boxed-up hopes, boxed-up expectations. I've even heard of people starting something called a hope chest. They fill with things they think they'll need for some imagined future season of life. I think the Spirit helped me see that there was more to those boxes than just things. There's a broken way of living where we leave parts of ourselves boxed up. We can drag unexplored aspects of our soul along with us as we go along our days, but I don't think that's the best way to glorify him. I realized that because of the expectations put on young adults, I was holding back. The vain, vaporous thoughts that often plague young single people were not far from me. Oh, they're attractive. Maybe they're the one. Sometimes attraction on the surface, sometimes attraction to character. The patterns of this world are subtle and really impact the way we think. And so in this strange way, I left singleness packed away. Why explore something that won't really be useful? Except... Except that even when those thoughts of maybe them would flit through my mind, I wasn't pursuing marriage. What a way to create internal dissonance, right? But over time, I began to learn that I didn't have the same dreams others had. I learned that it is apparently quite odd for a young person not to imagine oneself being married. Odd not to yearn for that one who completes you, or whatever. I can't explain what I don't have. 
So with God's nudge and grace, I thought, why don't I unpack this box of singleness? Instead of putting my soul on hold, waiting for something I'm not even really sure I want, why don't I see what treasures are hiding in this box of singleness? Perhaps it's even a gift from God that I've just left unopened. This kind of life posture has really simplified and helped me along the way. I don't have to wonder if the next available person I meet just might be the one, which incidentally I think is much more Hollywood than reality. I don't have to wonder if I should pursue romance, well, because I'm choosing not to. I'm walking down this path of singleness now, and honestly, there is a lot that I really like about it. Before I wax poetically about the glorious grandeur of the single life, spoiler alert, it's just like any other kind of life, I will take a risk of being vulnerable for the sake of reality. Just because I'm choosing to walk a single life does not mean that I have become some sort of zombie or half-human. God may have made me, given me the grace to be single, but he didn't take away my sex drive. Sorry if that's a bit direct, but I think it's important to say, God wants me to be fully human, and that means I have to learn how to train and direct all that I am, including all my desires, in obedience to Christ. I used to ask God to take away temptations I felt. He never has. But he has shown me something much better instead. He has given me community, good, hard work, a rich set of friends, and a church that doesn't mind a bit of enthusiasm in worship. Couple that with accountability, partnering with the Spirit for more self-control and growing understanding of Jesus, and the two of us, Jesus and me, are making progress on the path towards the kind of purity and thought and action we talk about in theory. The ebb and flow of relationships is not one that I have always navigated well with others either. I've had to learn that emotional depth is a powerful thing that must be guarded and tended carefully. Just because I need connection with others doesn't mean I can just dive into the deep end with everyone I meet. Sometimes that sends signals that end up getting people confused and hurt. I feel badly thinking about those that I've hurt along the way. It's a complication of needing and wanting intimacy while not desiring marriage. Everyone needs to belong, even if they're single, but that's hard to do well. So let me try to take our imaginings in some of the heights and depths of the glory of singleness. Jesus was single, joyful, fulfilled, spirit-filled, surrounded by a rich network of friends. Jesus knew what hard work and sacrifice for others could do to build community. Jesus wasn't waiting for the one. Came to serve us, to save us, to love us, and his love was ocean deep, filled with intentionality, nuanced, insightful, rich, self-sacrificial, kind, redeeming, arresting, breathtaking love. I want to be like him someday, or at least to reflect who he is best I can. Do I want to choose simplicity for a greater ability to focus on him? He is my greatest ambition. I do. He left the glorious, endless pleasures and joys of the heavenly realm to be with us. Can I forsake a few years of what might be in order to fully dive into pursuing him? No sacrifice I can make to his. I will. He has asked all of us to be about his father's business. Is there any calling greater? I'm zealous to use everything I have to make room for his spirit in all that I do. All my work, all my creative outlets, all my friendships, everything. I want it to all be focused on helping his kingdom come down here. Will I serve the church and be about that work? I will. He promises, promises, he promised that he will come back for us, for me, one day soon. Oh, how I want to be found waiting for him when he does. My heart has been made for infinity Only his love can fill the depths of me. He is trustworthy. I will wait for him. May we each have grace to pursue him with ever greater zeal in whatever manner he has given grace. Remember this, the only thing that counts is active trust in Jesus manifesting itself through actions 
that are motivated by love.